Hmm. Hey, Snoop! What up? Two, three into the boat. Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance. So Dang. Another two weeks. Without a podcast. My bad. Okay? My bad. I'll get into the reasoning in just a minute. But keep in mind, I don't use a pre-recorded intro. What's going on? My name is Brandon Harper. Or maybe... Brandon Harper. It's funny because a lot of people will randomly just call me that now, like my friends that had never heard that before the podcast. It's kind of funny. Only a few people know where it came from. One day I'll divulge. Anyway, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Why is it called Life in Paradise? I don't know. I used to live in the tropics on the ocean. Fast forward a few years and I moved back to the good old US and they and I just stayed with the same name, Life in Paradise. I know it's probably like people who are searching for the expat easy lifestyle find this podcast and then halfway through the whole thing it switches over to just a regular dude with a regular job in a regular world with a bunch of opinions. So here we are. My apologies for missing last week. I will get into the details. Until then, sit back, relax, enjoy the flight, and hand over the yoke for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. on a ride like this before. With a producer who can rap and control the maestro. At the same time with the dope rhyme that I kick. You know and I know I flow some old funky shit. To add to my collection, the selection symbolizes dope. Take a tote but don't choke. If you do, you have no clue. Or what me and my homie Snoop Dogg came to do. It's like this and like that like this. Man, man, man. Today is Sunday, October 25th, 2020. And we are in the height of election season. It's like only a little over a week and a half left until the election. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm kind of like on the edge of my seat waiting for the end of a movie. At the same time, I have a feeling we might not know how this thing turns out for a while. And if that happens... I'm going to do my best to completely tune out politics until we have an answer. I find myself, especially around election time, like prioritizing what's happening over lots of things. Not not like daily life important tasks, but, you know, instead of reading a book, I'll listen to a political podcast. Or instead of listening to a, a radio show in the morning that I've listened to for the last 15 years... I'll listen to some news station and their commentary on what's happening. And I can totally see how politics t- turned into like a soap opera. I mean, for lots of people, that's their source of entertainment. And people who call themselves like political junkies or news junkies, you know, you don't know for sure, but I would be willing to bet a lot of those people, it's just like a big soap opera. And that's kind of funny to me. I mean, I don't really care one way or another, whatever is important to them. But I am proud that we live in a country that allows that to happen. You know, there's I've been to tons of countries where you don't hear anything bad politically. You don't hear anything opposing the current leader. No criticism. And so I try to remind myself of that when I start to get a little bit politicked out. All that being said, I'm going to talk a little bit about politics today, as usual. And I think after the election, well, we'll see. Probably won't talk about it as much for a while because we, we just need to get back to normal. It's like the Super Bowl. It gets talked about way, way more before it than after it. And that's kind of how I feel like this election is going to be. But if Trump has his way, this election will be talked about every single day for the eternity of history. One of the hot buttons that everyone loves to talk about, it's been in the forefront of all the political drama for, for the last few years, is health care. And personally, 
I don't have a lot of criticisms of our healthcare system other than the fact that insurance companies screw it all up for everyone. But there are lots of people out there for whatever reason, they get stuck on healthcare and they think that we're like some third world country that like people are dying in their living rooms because the hospitals wouldn't accept them. And so those people want a standard of healthcare, which is higher than what we have now. And they want it to be at zero or low cost to the public. I'm not going to dive too far into the details of why our medical system has the massive technological, technological, massive technological breakthroughs. We have some of the best technology in the world. I would say the most technologically advanced medical healthcare system in the world. I'm not going to talk about why people come from other countries to come here and get things done. I'm not going to talk about who's doing the most research. I'm not going to talk about how there's virtually no waiting list for most surgeries. But I do want to talk about this breakdown that occurs between two different groups of people. One of them screams more healthcare, less money for more people. The other one screams, it's everyone's right to choose how much healthcare they want and how they allocate their money should dictate the type of healthcare that they want. While the other group screams that the average person can't afford to have good healthcare. So we need more healthcare coverage and we need cheaper coverage. So without talking about the how, let's just talk about the what. So once again, we're left with someone fighting for entitlements for another group or maybe their own group. So we're trying to determine whether or not someone has a right to a certain level of healthcare. But see, the biggest problem that exists is that we haven't defined the level of healthcare for which we're arguing about. And this isn't too far off from the, uh, the abortion topic because before we can fight about whether or not we allow abortion, we have to agree on where life begins. And so just like that, before we can fight about whether or not someone has a right to a certain level of health care, we have to establish what that baseline is. And then once that's done, well, it can go both ways. I guess that can come second. Also, what has to happen is that it needs to be spelled out somewhere as a right in the Bill of Rights. Once that happens, it's untouchable. It's a sacred cow. So what I think is that people who feel like our healthcare system is inadequate or cheats people or these greedy drug companies are in it for themselves and nobody else, and they think they're ruining things, we have to get it included into the Bill of Rights and say, you know what? Basic healthcare is a right. And then we can argue about what is basic healthcare? What is that? considered. But right now, it's not a right. You do not have a right to health care. And I know that pisses people off and they don't like it and it makes them squeal. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Would I want it to be different? Mm, sure, possibly. Do I think there's room for improvement? Absolutely. Do I think that poor people should die in the streets? Nope. Do I think that rich people should only get the good health care? No, of course not. I'm just saying that it's not a right. And so if the government tomorrow, you know, currently they, um, I believe hospitals have to treat you if you come in there. If you have a life-threatening illness or some a serious injury, they have to treat you. And if they wanted to cut that off tomorrow because they couldn't fund it or there was no way to pay for it, I would say, well, okay. I mean, hospitals are businesses too. They got to sustain. And so I just encourage anyone who, who wants to improve the healthcare system or get coverage for more people or make it cheaper or whatever you want to do, Start out with the hashtag, you know, make healthcare right or add healthcare to the Bill of Rights or create a new amendment to the Constitution that includes healthcare. And then we could say it's a right. But until then, we're just going to have presidents battling it out 
The Democrat president's going to do something. The Republican's going to come in. He's going to change it. Then the Democrat's going to change that. Republican's going to change that. And nothing ever gets set in stone. Nothing ever gets sorted out because we're just redoing and undoing and redoing and undoing. It just makes sense to like put it in stone that it's a right or not. If it's not, the government needs to step out of it. I heard an idea the other day that I'm not going to take credit for, but I wish I would have thought of this, is that you know the federal government can provide the the finances for a very very basic level of care. I don't I don't think it needs to be too much different than what than what we have now. You know maybe some prescription coverage for basic prescription medications. I wouldn't have a problem with that. And then we should have a healthcare savings account. Which after talking to a financial advisor, he said that that is like the most worthwhile thing you can put your money in because you don't pay tax on the money that goes into it and you don't pay tax on the money that comes out of it as long as you're paying for medical services. So as an employee, you can contribute however much you want to from your paycheck to your healthcare savings account. And then the marketplace would operate like a cash economy. You know, you should be able to go around and ask a doctor what they charge for a heart transplant or, you know, what they charge for sutures on the left hand, right above your pinky knuckle. And and then that way the consumer can allocate their money as they see fit. People should have a right to go and, and choose how the money gets allocated to having work done on themselves. So I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of letting people make their own decisions for themselves. I know I've talked about it plenty of times, but the government cannot be in the business of preventing stupid people from making decisions that, that could possibly affect their life in a bad way. And so if I cut my finger, I should be able to look on Google and see where the nearest, you know, stitch up doctor is. And maybe he, all he does is like stitches in the hands. And so he becomes really good at doing hand stitches. He can lower his price because he can turn and burn them. He can run through 10, 15 people an hour. I know this is crazy. This is not what doctors are supposed to do. But if you take out the, all the bureaucracy and all the insurance companies and you throw all that away, and you're left with buyers and sellers efficiencies will be created. It's just the way things work. The market will find the most efficient way to get things done because there's two parties to a transaction. One party wants to buy a service. One party wants to sell a service. The party who's buying a service wants to pay the least. The party who's selling a service wants to receive the most. And so when you have two individuals motivated by their best interest, they will find the most logical price to swap for services. It's just the way that it works. So now, you know, you start contributing, contributing to your healthcare savings account when you're 18, 20 years old, your first job. And even if it's 50 or 100 bucks a month, you know, you start putting money into it and you start paying for it. And, you know, maybe we have a, a supplemental uh, catastrophe insurance that, that covers that, too. And it can be, you know, affordable, maybe even subsidized by the government a little bit. Just a little bit, though, not this big, crazy healthcare system. So most people are pretty healthy from the time that they're 18 to the time they're 25, 30 on average. And you're contributing to your account this whole time. And then when it comes time, you're getting sick and you go to the doctor. The money's there. You pay the doctor with it. The doctor doesn't know whether it comes from your HSA or from your checkbook or wherever. He's just operating in a normal business environment. Of course, if people want to up and buy insurance on their own, that should be perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with that either. I just don't like the way that we've evolved so far away from a regular marketplace and we brought insurance companies in this deal and then now we want the government to fix everything. You see, the, the healthcare system is very, very, very far from an open market. And I get that it can't be certain times, certain places, under certain circumstances. But there's a lot of pieces of it that can be. And it only makes sense to try to recapture those pieces. It's, it will only work out best for everyone. 
except possibly the insurance companies. You know, the government, um, they provide services even though we don't have rights to them. And I think a lot of people forget about that. I mean, there's nowhere spelled out in the Constitution that we have a right to a police department or EMS or firefighters. Of course, if we took them away, everyone would be mad and raise hell, but they're under no obligation to provide those for us. In fact, they're all city, state, and local level. Has nothing to do with the federal government. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like a basic level of healthcare is good. Maybe some a little bit of supplemented uh, catastrophic coverage, and then outside those two areas, you're on your own. I mean, people forget that capitalism works. And and I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I was messaging with a friend the other day, and he mentioned something about capitalism and greed and blah blah blah, all the talking points. But really, all capitalism is is a free flow of money. The, the, the ease of moving capital is what capitalism is. And, I, and I've said this before, probably on here, but I, I'll say it again. Like The reason capitalism works is because people are greedy, which is also the exact same reason that socialism fails. And there's no such thing as perfect. And I realize that capitalism markets fail as well. Things can go wrong. The thing is, like I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to take the gamble because... So many other things go so right. The government is is made up of nothing but a bunch of humans. They're made up of people. And the more power we put in those people's hands, the worse off the average person will be. The more power we take away from those people and let the, uh, the markets sort out how things need to be, the better off consumers will be. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now. That's, uh, that's my view on healthcare and capitalism. Let's bring capitalism back to healthcare. Get out the insurance companies. They don't do anything. They don't add value. They just unnecessarily pull money out of every transaction to fund themselves. And really, all insurance companies are, they're just big gambling houses. They're just just a giant conglomerate of people that are gambling against something happening. So let's just take auto insurance. I'm paying $150 a month so that I can drive my car. And if I crash into someone, the insurance company pays for it, for my liability. And so they're betting that I won't crash. I'm betting that I might crash. They would love for people to never crash. So they're, they're betting on that. But they're so sure that I'm going to crash that I have to contribute money every month to make up for the odds of me crashing. And so their bet is that I will contribute more than what I cost them. And that's like, I mean, it's just a big bet. That's all. So I can't figure out why we don't have or maybe someone can do it but a big giant betting pool where people contribute and bet, you know, on insurance. You can look at someone's profile. Here's a male, 25 years old, no accidents. Yes, I'd like to throw five bucks on that. And then you, you write it out, you know. A month goes by, he doesn't crash, you get a little return on your money. Another month goes by, he doesn't crash, you get return on your money. Month goes by, boom, he crashes, your money gets sucked out, and you find someone else to bet on. I think things like that are what's going to change the future. The whole idea of cutting out the middleman or cutting out the organization. When I say organization, I don't mean like group. I meant like you're cutting out the cost of all these people to predict numbers and these actuaries to put statistics together. And you're paying administrators to answer the phone and mail out bills. And I think the way the technology is going, all that stuff can be sorted out between the buyer and the seller. You know, that little company called eBay. Speaking of camels, here's a clip whereby Joe Biden says... 54% of the people should not vote for him.
Uh, Gallup reported last week 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. They think 54% of American people are better off economically today than they were under our administration. Well, their memory is not very good, quite frankly. I don't even need to say anything about that. <laughs> Just play it and let it, let them talk. One thing that's been interesting is watching the um, the Amy Coney Barrett appointee of the Supreme Court uh, hearings go down. And I think no matter who Trump would have appointed, uh, the left would have found something to whine and scream and cry and moan and pout about. But regardless, man, I was comparing her and Kamala Harris and just, just, just kind of dissecting the way that these two women are. Now, from a glance, you might think, oh, they're both these big, powerful, and, you know, they're doing great things for women, and, you know, women's rights and women's movements is so important to them. And then you sit back and you look at them a little bit, and I truly believe that someone like Amy Coney Barrett is so confident and sharp in her craft and what she does is that she doesn't need to celebrate women as a separate entity. She's like, you know, they questioned her, all these guys up there, what are you, what are you writing on your notepad? And she's like, nothing, I don't have anything on it. <laughs> it's just like, okay, that's kind of amazing, but let's move on. And, and you'll notice, you know, this is no different among guys, right? You go to a bar and the guys who are walking around with the chicken chest, poking their chest out, you know, you talking to me, dude, bro, bro, you want to throw down? Let's roll, dude. What are you, what are you looking at? You looking at my girl? Like there's those guys. And then there's the guys who walk around and they don't make gestures at anyone. They're not posturing. They're not trying to look like a peacock. And they know in the back of their mind, they could probably whoop anyone in there. But there's no need to strut around and show it. And I feel like that uh, Kamala Harris is the chicken walking around with her, her chest puffed out. And Amy Coney Barrett is the silent one who's confident and knows her accomplishments and knows what she's done and doesn't need to laugh in people's faces and tell them, excuse me, I'm talking, I'm talking, sir. You see, because people who do that, they, they try to gain respect because they don't have the confidence otherwise. And that's how I truly feel about Kamala Harris. I feel like she is not, um, she's not a very confident woman. She gives off a very good impression that she is. If you'll notice all the videos of, of people uh, of her, hey, cut me some slack. <laughs> I'm not chopping this thing up. If you'll notice the videos that she posts on her social media, they're all filmed from a very low angle. And, and this is just me guessing, but this gives a perception that she's very big and robust and tall and powerful because everyone else's social media, it's all, it's all being filmed from eye level from the perspective of another person. And she had to make that request or someone told her, hey, we should film from down low. You know, it just looks, looks a little bit more powerful, a little bit bigger. And you only have to do that when you don't already feel powerful. And I don't have a daughter, but if I did... I would much rather her follow the route of Amy Coney Barrett than Kamala. Because to the trained eye, you can spot it a mile away. Like, someone who's weak but is trying to pose as someone who's strong and powerful, man, in a room of smart people, they're, they're, they're picked out instantly. And I, and I honestly think that most politicians are the former. They're not powerful people. The power that they have has been given to them or they've been appointed, but they haven't earned it. And so, you know, you can just feel when someone comes into a room and they have a presence and they, 
They don't have to act big or bad or tough or mean or cuss or spit or kick or punch. I mean, they, you can just tell. They walk in the room, and there's just something a little bit different about them. And, and I truly believe that that comes naturally through confidence. You can't teach that. You can't act that. That's not something that you can, you can teach your son or daughter how to be. But you can teach them how to be truly confident and respectful and poised and then the, the feeling part will just come naturally. It just happens. Even, even humble people, you know, even guys that like leaders of, of, you know, big oil field companies that they're just good old boys, you know, but when they walk in the room, they're there for business. And even though they might talk and they be, they're nice and they're cutting up and they're joking and having a good time, there's just something about them. I really, I know I'm probably not doing a good job explaining it, but I feel like most of you guys know what I'm talking about. But in my opinion, to be powerful and maintain humility is the highest level of respect. Those are the people that I look up to, I respect the most. You're going to laugh in my face. You're going to interrupt me. You're going to tell me that, wait, excuse me, I'm talking. You're going to wave your hand back and forth. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't respect those people. Speaking of respect those people, here's another quote from Biden. Can't remember Mitt Romney's name. None. I don't think there's any questions about it. You may remember... I got in trouble when we were running against the senator who was a Mormon, the governor. You know, I was thinking about the coronavirus the other day and how, you know, kids, some kids can't really get it or they get it. It's not bad. It's not, doesn't seem to be too hard on the youth. But then I was thinking, you know, why don't we just, why don't we just make kids learn from home permanently? Then no kid would ever get shot in a school shooting. I mean, that's one way to solve the problem, right? But we don't do that. We don't make kids stay at home to learn because school shootings statistically aren't bad enough for that. Because there could be a point in time at which, oh man, there's a school shooting almost every day in every city. Yes, do not go to school, kids. Stay home. Learn from home. So the difference between that, those two is that one is way worse than the other, which is why kids are going back to school with coronavirus. It's just not worth staying home. It's not worth what you have to do to get the reward, which is exactly why hardcore gun-grabbing restrictions should not be made, because it's just not that bad. You see, these politicians, they get feathers in their cap when they make laws. They get elected again. It's good. It goes in their record. And so people will just randomly pick topics that they see as, as bothering the public, and they'll get behind them and they'll champion them and you know, to the average Democrat, it doesn't matter to them whether or not they can own a gun. They don't, they don't care. So they'll get behind something, push on it, push on it, push on it to get it done just to get feathers in their cap to get reelected. Now, th this goes both ways, obviously, but generally the left makes more laws. They like rules. They like, they like structure. They want everything to be spelled out. And so it's typical for the left to take a non-issue and make it an issue. Just remember that. And the right to, it's, I would say it's probably typical to, for the right to do it as well, but it's just not as frequent. You know, when you think about like the, there are certain parts of the media that, that made out, you know, anyone coming from Mexico is a terrorist and they're, they're going to rape babies and, and, and kill you. It's not true, but that's the right, you know, pushing something to get their agenda. And I disagree with it. I don't care if it's the left or the right. I think that like, Playing emotions is, is not cool to get your agenda passed. I just don't. I think it's all about statistics, data, and numbers. 
because feelings change. All that's dynamic. It can change from one day to the next. And so, you know, Trump, he got rode hard for not coming out right away and telling people that this is the pandemic. This is going to be the civilization ender. Uh, Everyone run and hide because this is going to get you. So he cut a lot of flack for that. And then I think Biden said something like, you know, when, when he was addressed it or they asked him about it, he said something like, this is America. People don't panic. I thought to myself, well, you didn't get caught up with a toilet paper shortage of 2020, buddy. That's probably because you wear Depends and you don't need toilet paper. I, for one, think people do panic and people do make irrational decisions. That's why they run out to buy toilet paper. And I think there's nothing wrong with the government withholding information that will stop mass hysteria. If a comet was coming for Earth and there was an 80% chance it was going to hit us and there was nothing that could be done, all the scientists, everyone agreed, nope, we can't stop it. It's probably not a good thing to tell the Earth. I mean, it would just, our last days would not be pretty. Who knows? Maybe it would bring us all together. <laughs> Maybe that's what they should do right now is right before the election. Hey guys, uh, I just to let you know there's a, there's a giant asteroid coming for earth and it's going to blow us to smithereens in like four days so be good to the people around you tell them goodbye because this is it speaking of funny stories i have one for you i think i told this story or a longer version of it way back in the podcast uh when i was in nicaragua and i was doing dog stories once a week like i was telling stories that i've got from dogs over the course of my life which has been filled uh beyond health with dogs so this story my buddy Corey. um Texted me earlier this week, and he said, man, I had to put my dog down. His dog's name is Cutter. And, you know, 10 years ago when we all got dogs around the same time, we all ran around together. We went on trips together. We took our dogs everywhere. So we all kind of got to know each other's dogs. But so Corey texted me, like, man, I had to put old Cutter down, you know, and we talked to him about him a little bit. And I thought, man, I got to mention this dog on this podcast because he he was just an old hunting dog that he Corey bought him and thought, you know, maybe he could teach him to hunt. And this dog had so much fire. Now, when I say fire, it just means go. Like most people would classify it as hyperactivity. But this dog had drive, which means, you know, drive is just another way of saying the level at which the dog wants to do what their original purpose was to do. So in this particular case, he was a yellow lab. They're bred to fetch things. They go, you shoot something, they grab it, they bring it back to you. Well, drive is how bad they want to go do that. And so this dog cutter was off the charts. I mean, he had more go than any working dog I've seen, any Malinois, any police dog. I mean, he just wanted to go. And so I loved him for that. You know, he always stood out as one of my favorite dogs. Um, I don't I don't tend to be impressed by many dogs, but this particular guy was just full of fire. I loved him. And so I was keeping him one time. I think Corey was actually on his honeymoon. And I lived on 10 acres, but it wasn't fenced. And there was an abandoned set of buildings behind me. And so I would just let my dogs run around. There was a pond. There was no real busy streets nearby. And Cutter would just hang around with my guys. And so, I don't know, about 10 or 15 minutes go by. And if I don't see the dogs, I would whistle for them. I'd call them, I'd regroup, get them all to come back to me. And so I'm calling them, calling them, and then no, no one's coming. Finally, my dogs come. I put them up in the kennel, and I go, get on the four-wheeler to look for Cutter, and I hear him barking, arr, 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 and it was kind of far away. And when Cutter 
when he wanted you to throw something, he would bring it to you, throw it at you, and just bark at you. And that's that's a learned behavior. Uh, Corey taught him that probably accidentally. But either way, I heard that bark and I knew what it was. And I said, oh, someone must have been walking down there. And Cutter went and found him and threw him a stick and he wants to play with the guy. So I just go to walk into where he is and I look up and I see these like four or five SWAT team members they're like trying to remain hidden in the woods and push Cutter away. And he's totally giving up their location, barking at them. And they had some dude had escaped from jail in Conroe and ended up right in this property that butted up to mine. And Cutter's over there barking at these guys in the woods who are trying to sneak up on this escaped convict. And so I recovered him. They laughed with me. They thought it was kind of funny. And I, uh, I brought him back home. But anyway, cheers to Cutter, buddy. We'll see you on the other side. You were a cool-ass dog, and uh, I don't know if I ever meet another dog like you. And yes, it appears we have another racist in our midst. And no, no, it's not Orange Man. It's not old Stubby Fingers. It's not Biden. It's some comedian named Chelsea Handler. And man, let me just start off before I go too far into this. I despise raunchy comedians. I don't like it. I don't think it's funny. I feel like it's what people revert to when they don't have anything good. And more than raunchy comedians, I despise female raunchy comedians. I don't think there's anything wrong with women comedians. But when women comedians are raunchy, it is disgusting to me. More so than men, for some reason. I don't know why. Call it a double standard. I don't know. I'm just being real. So this Chelsea Handler person who's... Not funny in the slightest. I know my opinion is an outlier. She's far wealthier than I'll ever be because of her humor, probably. But I don't think she's funny. So she goes off and tells 50 Cent, who 50 Cent recently came out and said that, hey, I support Trump because uh, if the other dude gets elected, I'm going to be 30 Cent instead of 50 Cent. And he won't he won't keep his money. All kidding aside, I think 50 Cent is probably a pretty good business person. I don't know the details of his business dealings, but I know that he came up like corn and he's done really well for himself. So Chelsea Handler tells 50 Cent, you're not allowed to vote for Trump because you're black. And I mean, I cannot get over the type of divisiveness, racism that that is. I mean, could you imagine, could you imagine if... I was told I couldn't have voted for Barack Obama because he's black or that I'm, I can't vote for the black guy that I have to vote for the white guy because we're both white. And it just really bothers me that people just brush this off and act like it doesn't exist. And I'm not one to sit here and say, well, can you imagine if we tell, if white people tell jokes about black people, you know, like I know that that gets beat around a lot. A good comedian can do both. So, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm worried about. But in my opinion, This type of rhetoric is far more divisive than anything Trump has said or done. This is racist or on the borderline of it. I mean, would we classify uh, choosing to vote for someone because of the color of their skin? If we classify that as racist, then this stupid woman is being racist and no one says a word about it. No one says a word because you know why? We've altered the meaning of the word racism to think that it can only be coming from white people towards everyone else. And any black person, if you're close to a black person, you talk to them, they'll tell you about some racist people that do not have white skin. My point is, racism occurs amongst every skin color. It's bad. It's a bad thing. We should call it out when we see it. 
We should not allow it. And if we do that, it will go away. We cannot regulate it to death. We can't make laws to stop it. But we can shun the people who exhibit it. It's a cultural thing. Cultures can't be regulated. So I'm doing my job. This woman is saying racist crap. She'll never see a dime of my money, which she probably wouldn't have anyway. But if you're against racism, you should be against Chelsea Handler. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I think we're getting pretty close to wrapping it up. I know today was kind of intense. Oh, wait. Hold on. We're not going to wrap it up yet. I want to explain to you about my last Sunday, a week ago. The reason why I didn't do a podcast. I woke up Sunday morning and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wash my truck. I'm going to do some laundry. I'm going to get my house cleaned up. I'm going to go grocery shopping. Because I kind of only have one or fewer days off per week. So I get a phone call at like 9.20 from Josh at the brewery, who is our taproom manager, telling me that the guy who was supposed to work the kitchen just didn't show up. So I scramble. I get my clothes on. I go up to the brewery. I get the kitchen prepped. I start getting everything ready. I'm like, well, I guess I'm working the kitchen all day today. Man, I was sour. I did not want to be there. Ugh. I hadn't had a day off in a while. And keep in mind that I haven't really worked in the kitchen myself for a while. Like once it's picked up, the business has gotten, you know, quite a bit busier. I hadn't really worked in there on a busy day. So so I prepped what I thought was enough pickles and onions and jalapenos and pico de gallo and all that stuff. Had it all ready to go. And then it's people started coming in. It was getting busier and busier. And Kale came up there, my business partner. And he came up there, he jumped in there with me, and there's two of us in there, and it was just getting busier and busier, and finally got to the point where he was slipping away. <laughs> it was just slipping away from us, because tickets were being printed so fast, and we couldn't keep up. And then it was like, oh no, we're out of sour cream. And we put sour cream like on nachos and the potatoes, and then the, the ticket printer's going, just printing and printing and printing and then i look up and there's like 15 orders with ribs and i look down and we're completely out of ribs i'm like oh no these people have already paid and we're out of ribs kill looks up he's like dude we're out of barbecue sauce i'm like no ticket printer's still going nuts kill's like we're out of pickles and onions and jalapenos no so here we are like way behind i've got all these baked potato orders i realize i've got no hot potatoes I had some that were already baked from the day before, but they were cold. So I run out, go to the walk-in, grab them, go to the office, throw them in the microwave. I told Kale, I said, look, just run things. I got to go get these potatoes done. So I go on the potato mission. I put them in the microwave. And right now, by now, it's like 2.30, 3 o'clock. Put them in the microwave. I sit down in this chair in the office, and like I'm like nodding off, falling asleep. Bing! The microwave goes off like, oh, yeah, but back to back to hell. So I grab the potatoes, I run in the kitchen. I'm like, hey, which of these tickets have you gotten out? He's like, none of them. We each have our own string of tickets. It's kind of complicated, but he's like, none of them. I'm like, okay. So I start making tickets that I'm seeing. He's like, I already got all those out. <laughs> They're already all made. I was like, no. And meanwhile, the ticket printer's still going off. New order's coming through. Finally, I look at him, and he looked at me. I'm like, let's just shut it down, dude. Let's just stop. Just shut this whole thing down and go home. And so we were almost out of meat anyway. But man, it was a mess. It was a big mess. The kitchen looked like a bomb went off in there. There was sour cream all over the place, mayonnaise on the floor, barbecue sauce on the walls. I mean, at one point, I was making nachos, and I grabbed a squirt tube, and I squirted all over what I thought was sour cream. Nope, it was mayonnaise. (laughs) So I just dumped the whole thing in the trash, started over, 
People were mad. People were complaining. We were giving away free food. We were giving away free beer. But you know what? It'll make for a great chapter of the book one day. I also learned that we need to have two people available for the kitchen. That is not something I want to go through again. So I realized, man, Rocky, the kitchen ninja, like she was supposed to be off the next day too. I called her. I said, Rocky, I will pay you whatever I have to pay you to come in. She's like, she just started laughing. She's like, what happened with Andrew? I was like, oh, he got fired. She's like, yeah, I figured he was. So she's like, it's like she had a doctor's appointment scheduled. And she was like, it's 75 bucks to cancel. I said, I got you. No worries. So she showed up the next day. I paid her for a doctor's appointment, gave her an extra $100 bill, gave her a raise. And I said, is there anything else I can give you? I said, are you okay with working Sundays now? She goes, can I have a TV in here in the kitchen? And I go, <laughs> absolutely. You can have a TV in the kitchen. What do you want to watch? She's like, football. So I said, okay. She said, you know, normally Sundays are my day off, and I really like to watch football. I said, look, I'm going to get your TV. No problem. We'll have every channel you can think of. Just don't ever leave this kitchen again. So we had a good laugh about it. But, man, I got no desire to work in a commercial kitchen like that. Mm, it's not for everyone. If you've never done it, you got to go check it out. It is intense. I now know why chefs scream and holler and throw things and get mad because it is fast-paced. Everyone has to be on the same page. Okay, now I'm going to wrap things up for real. Went a little bit long today, but um, I guess it's because I had a week off. So thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, you can shoot me an email to brandon at newasisbrewing.com. That's N-U-E-C-E-S brewing.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next week. Keep it tranquilo.